you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Hey, Tom, where'd you go? <laughs> well, it's really good to see everyone uh, this morning. Thank, thank you for being here. Thank you for being online. Um, excited about the season that we're in and what God's doing here. And uh, So I hope you are too. We're going to wrap up. First Thessalonians today, so take your Bibles and turn to chapter 5. Next week, as Tom said, we'll be outside celebrating the empty tomb. Um, so that'll be, that'll be exciting right now. Uh, we have sunny days on either side of Easter and Easter. So, you know, I'm praying for a drought. So... Uh, Easter is not our last service out there. We're going to try to do all of our services in April outside. So, um, But Easter, we will be uh, bringing these chairs out there. So all you have to do is is come and, um, you know, if you have a friend to bring, bring a friend. There's still invitations back there to take with you to invite and uh, dress maybe a little bit for the weather. Um, sorry, it might be a little chilly, but I think it'll be sunny. So we're... Uh, Continuing to pray about that, and uh, but right now, right now it looks good. Uh, so where are we going after First Thessalonians? I'm really glad that you asked that. Uh, yeah, Second Thessalonians, of course. Next level living part two. Uh, so we'll get into that starting the Sunday after Easter. Today I've got a message for you called "Creating a Next Level Culture." And let's read these verses. It's chapter 5, verses 12 to the end, verse 28. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just uh, grateful for this book that we've been able to go through, this letter um, and the uh, instructions that it has given us, the, the strength that it gives us, the hope that it gives us for Jesus coming back. And Lord, as, as today as we soak our hearts in these last few verses of of the letter that... We pray that our hearts might be good soil for it uh, today, that you'd speak to us. There's so many things in there, uh, so many things to uh, to listen to and to apply and to, to work on in our life. So I, I pray, Lord, you'd be very laser-like in our hearts and ears today for us. Help us to know personally, each one, what we need to hear from you and to go and do. I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The next 
level culture, creating a next level culture. Culture is a word that, that uh, it seems like is getting more and more use today. Um, you know, so there's a few different words uh, or meanings for, for culture. You know, like there's like a Petri dish and, you know, that there's a culture in there that makes things grow, you know, that kind of culture. But let me just give you a definition that we can work from here. A culture is a way of life for a group of people, their behaviors, beliefs, values, and symbols that they accept generally without thinking about them and that are passed along by communication and imitation to the next generation. So if you would go to another country, uh, you are going to get dropped into another culture, like India. If you go to India, you get dropped into a, a culture that's very different uh, from, from our own. Um, uh, you hear about sports teams that are looking to hire coaches that will bring a winning culture you know, to their team. So a player gets on their team, and uh, they're going to understand because that coach is going to show them what you, how you've got to practice, what you've got to do in the training room to become a winner on whatever, in whatever sport they are playing. Today we hear about this thing called cancel culture. Have you heard about cancel culture? You know, this, this group of people that is deciding what is offensive about our history or what is acceptable or unacceptable in our present for us to talk about and believe, um, you know, and then they go about removing those things from society that they deem as offensive or unacceptable. Uh, Oral Roberts University, who just lost last night in the Sweet 16, ha- had come under this cancel culture bullseye uh, recently um, in the USA Today, a sports blog. There was an article in there that said they shouldn't even be allowed to be in the tournament. Why? Because they hold to a biblical sexual ethic. That's why. The uh, title of the article was called Oral Roberts University Isn't the Feel-Good March Madness Story That We Need by Hemel Javari. And she says this, and I quote, Oral Roberts, with its decrees banning homosexual conduct, stating that marriage is only between a man and a woman, and specifically banning male students from wearing makeup, earned a ticket to the big dance, even though the university's foundations expressly go against the very things the NCAA say they value. The fact is, get this, the fact is any and all anti-LGBTQ plus language in any school's policies should ban them from NCAA competition. That is cancel culture. And it is not going to go away. And if you are a Bible-believing Christian and you want to please God rather than man, you will eventually be in the bullseye of the one to be canceled. It's just the way things are going. The gang that's all about tolerance will not tolerate us. Paul, he's wrapping up his letter with this laundry list of things to do and to not do and blessings and requests. And each one is worthy of a message, but if we look at them collectively... They are going to show us that uh, of the kind of culture that we can uh, create as a New Testament church, the kind of place we're supposed to be, the kind of place where it does exactly the opposite of canceling people because of an ugly past or an unacceptable present, the kind of culture that makes us a relevant church to real people with real struggles. So the first characteristic of a next-level culture around here is we need to be a culture of respect. These first two verses. Now, as I read those two verses, I kind of wondered how I would preach them to you. You know, uh, it's about giving respect and esteem to those who are over you in the Lord and labor among you, who lead you in the church. And me being one of those leaders makes this a little bit awkward to preach to you about respecting me. And so I, I'm sure that the Spirit would, would lead me through that. But for, the first thing the Spirit did was say, ask Joe Wilson to preach about this. And, and uh, Joe and Beverly Wilson, they started attending our church last summer. And Joe and Beverly have been in ministry over 40 years, and he's done various things, and he's done pastoral ministry. And so I asked Joe if he would help me preach this, and he agreed. So, Joe, I would like for you to come up. I'm very thankful the Lord has led you guys to our church. You've been a great encouragement to me. And I'm going to 
turn this over to you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, this light is a little, I'm going to move over here and see if I can get out of that a little bit. A good message has three aspects. You get up, you speak up, and you shut up. And if you want a real short message, you eliminate number two. Uh, and I have to almost eliminate number two because I only have about five minutes. Uh, respecting those who give leadership. Paul talks about a number of things here. But before we get into the passage itself, how many of you have tried to watch sports on television the last year? One of the things that you've noticed is there are no fans in the stands. Your favorite player scores a touchdown, hits a home run, whatever. And what comes out of the stands? Total silence. Nothing. No response. Players have said that they miss that audience participation. As Paul gets into this passage in verses 12 and 13, he talks about three things. He talks about, first of all, the role of the pastor. And in the version of the scripture that I'm using, he uses two words to describe the role of the pastor. Number one, he is the leader of the flock. It's kind of interesting that in the scripture, God does not liken the church to cattle who are driven, but likens the church to sheep who are led. And the pastor is the one who has been called by God and by the church to lead them. Now, he does not by himself lead the flock. One of the things that I've noticed about Greg in the short time we've been here is that when there's a major decision to be made, I don't know how many times I've heard him say, I got with the elders. The scripture says in the book of Proverbs, in the multitude of counselors, there is victory. One person doesn't have all of the knowledge. The pastor does not have. And so he gathers around him a group of people who will help him in this leadership capacity. And so he says the pastor is the leader of the flock. But he also, and I want to spend a little more time here, he's the one who labors among you. That word labor is an interesting word. It, have you ever gone out, uh, maybe some of you had happened yesterday. You were working here at the church, and you worked to the point that you were absolutely weary, you were, your body was just ready to drop. I think most of us have been there. That's the word that Paul uses here, to labor to the point of weariness, to, to labor to the point that you're not sure you can go on any further. Pastors work hard. The only problem is, and I don't know if that's the right way to say it, most of the times God's people don't see all of the labor that's going on. It's like an iceberg. The part of the iceberg that you see is very small. Most of the iceberg you don't see is beneath the surface. It is out of sight. In the experience that I've had with pastors over the last 40 years. Most of them don't work five days and 40 hours. They work six and seven days a week. And they work 50 and 60 and sometimes 70 hours a week. And the work is not necessarily physically taxing, but it is mentally and spiritually taxing. And they grow weary because of all the things that, that come into their life. You know, most of the people in a church do not see the time 
that a pastor spends studying. You, you see 20 or 30 minutes up here, but you don't see the hours upon hours of preparation that it takes to teach the Word of God to the people of God. You don't see the pastor spending time with families in the church who are struggling spiritually. They grow weary. They labor. So he says the role of the pastor is because of what they do. This is the second word, the role. Then he uses the word regard. He says, regard them very highly. Hold them in high esteem. Greg used the word culture. In our culture today, I think we tend to hold the wrong people in high esteem. We look to Hollywood and say, wow. We look to athletes and say, I want to be like them. Let me tell you, those are not the rock stars of our culture. Now, we've done a little better in the last few years. We've elevated first responders to people, and that's a real notch above athletes and, and uh, Hollywood. But I want to add something to the church. The rock stars of the church are those who lead the church and labor among you. Greg and Isaiah are the rock stars of this church. And they need to be held in high esteem because of the work that they do. Um, the last thing, the last word, their role, their regard, and their, he says, recognize them. Recognize them. Let me tell you two things that will encourage them. Number one, tell them that you appreciate them. I know you do, but they can't read your minds. Tell them. Um, you don't have to do it every Sunday, but just, just say verbally, I, I appreciate what you're doing here. The second thing is follow them. There's an old leadership proverb that says, he who thinks he is a leader should look behind himself. If no one is following, he is but taking a walk. (laughs) I want to encourage you to look that, that Greg, when he looks behind him, Himself. You know who he sees? Us. We are following. We are doing the work he has he is leading us to do. And so he says to us in in the church, we need to develop this culture of holding those who lead the church in high esteem, in high regard. I know you do that here. May that continue always. Thank you for this time, Greg. Hey, Joe, I think we could come up with a pretty good arrangement here when I come along. Come along these difficult passages, I might just... Thank you. You know, I'm one blessed pastor. Um, in January, I'll be in, have been in full-time ministry about 20 years. And um, in that time, I have been given a lot of respect and esteem, really more, more than I deserve uh, for, for the most part. And I certainly get that here. So thank you for loving us and supporting our family and, and, uh, and being here uh, to support us because... Uh, I still feel like a newbie, and I don't know if I'll ever get over that. Um, let's go on. Verses 14 and 15. 
Paul urges us to create a culture of love. So there's six instructions here that that just kind of ooze that love that Jesus talked about, that if we would love one another like this, that, um, that people would know that we are believers. Uh, so it's interesting here to note that Paul isn't asking for this kind of culture like he asked for the respect culture. He's urging with these commands. He's urging for a climate of love, more emphatic. So this is what should be normal around here. This is what should be our culture, that we would love each other by admonishing the idol. Now that admonishing word, that's correcting or or warning. You know, that, that's kind of what admonishing is. So there's kind of two things that we wouldn't necessarily associate with love, but to be idle would be to go against the word of God. It would be going against just what Paul, you know, talked about just a few sentences earlier in this book. You know, work with your hands, live a quiet life, don't depend on anybody. And so there's people that were that were idle among them, and they needed to get to work. Now, now work, you know, it was it was created by God, right? It was in the garden, and it was created before the fall. God gave Adam a work to do, to name the animals, to tend the garden. So work is a good thing. It's a good thing for us to do, whether we work at home or we work wherever we work. And as people who are living in a production-driven society, okay, we get esteemed for producing And so what we have to be careful of is that our work doesn't become what we worship. You know, because that's where we're getting, you know, lifted up and and, and felt felt good. Idleness, I think they say, is the devil's playground. You know, when you got time on your hands, that's not good. So it's not good for us just to okay, I, I should say, I should make this clear. It is not work to use your finger and scroll through social media. That's not, that's not work, all right? And it's not good for us to sit around. It, it is not work to, to use the TV remote control, you know, and just binge watch Netflix. That, you know, I know that it requires a little movement, but that's just kind of... Now, we don't want to disregard the stuff about rest and Sabbath. That's important too. But by and large, we need to be not idle. And we need to warn others who are idle. We have time on their hands. If they're able to work, then they should put their hands to it and, and get some purpose, not just be a consumer. should be normal around here for us to love the faint-hearted with encouragement. Being faint-hearted means that you're discouraged or you're on the, on the verge of giving up. Okay? Um, as believers, we should never give up because we know the God who can do far more than ever we could ask or imagine. It's just hard to remember that sometimes. It's hard to believe that sometimes. And it's such a loving thing for us to come alongside someone who's faint-hearted and struggling to believe, struggling, almost ready to give up. It's a loving thing to lend them our faith and to say, come on, let's go. Remember who we follow. Remember who we know and pray for them. We, we love them that way. It should be normal for us to love the faint-hearted with encouragement. It should be normal for us to love the weak with our strength. Now, weakness comes in many forms, right? I mean, you can be, you can be weak because you're physically sick. Uh, you can be emotionally weak because you're grieving or you're worried or you're fear, fearful or you're so busy and you're stressed. All those things can make you emotionally weak. You can be weak because you feel like you're alone, You've been, you're left out. You know, you don't have this tribe, this family that you belong to. You can be spiritually weak because of sin in your life or, or Satan is just beating you up right now. All those are, are forms of, of weakness. It's a loving thing for us to come alongside those who are feeling that weakness. We go and visit the sick and lay hands on them and pray for them. You know, we go comfort the grieving. We protect the fearful. We point the worried to the birds of the air and remind them that God feeds them and He cares much more about them, uh, about you, than the birds. We know the God of all comfort. 
We know the strong God, our God who is mighty to save. We know him. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He calls us to get involved in the lives of the weak, to give them our presence and be his hands and his feet. You know, we can't let these COVID living patterns that we have been in for a year now, we can't let them keep us away from our old calling to love our neighbor, to give them our presence. And so we got to pick up our cross to help the weak. It should be normal around here to love one another with our patience. (laughs) I told Isaiah early in the week, brother, there's some conviction right here. (laughs) How easy it is to lose our patience with people. I mean, in the drive-thru at McDonald's, right? I mean, for whatever reason, I mean, people don't do what we want them to do. They are not masking up. They are not showing up. They talk too much. They won't talk to others. They won't walk by faith. They keep running on ahead. They sin or they act like they don't. The people that stretches are the ones that we need to exercise patience with. And that doesn't mean that we stay away from those people. It's not loving to just do this to people who are stretching us. God calls us to love them by our faithfulness in their lives, our loyalty to them. I thank God that the, uh, the, the, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is patience. Man, I don't have it. I don't have it. So the fruit of patience can be in us as we give ourselves to love these people who stretch us. (laughs) Wouldn't that be an amazing culture of love? (laughs) If we would just have some more patience uh, with each other. It should be normal here to love others with our forgiveness and our good works. Paul says, hey, look, on this team right here, in this family, there are no getbacks. There is no revenge. That's not how we treat each other. That's not how we treat people who who have hurt us. It's not how we're going to respond to injury here. And so that, that means for us, I mean, you know, I've never one time broken up a fight in church. So that means that there's another kind of revenge. There's, there's not going to be conversations that go on about this person, you know, to other people and sharing what they did to me. And there's not going to be conversations that go on up here where I just get to shred this person to bits or wish them harm. Those things, that's not normal around here. It should not be normal around here. God calls us to be a forgiving people. Remembering how do we do that? Well, we start by remembering how much we've been forgiven. How much God has forgiven us and the cost that that came at. And then when, when we're able to forgive, and I know that doesn't happen sometimes. It, sometimes it can happen quick, but sometimes it takes a long time. You know? But when we do it, God frees us from that bitterness. Because when we're not forgiving, we're the one in the prison. You know, not the other person. So he frees us from that bitterness and he heals our heart from that hurt and we are able to truly love that other person and do good to them. That's one really good way to forgive somebody is to do good to them. That's the kind of culture that Paul's talking about creating in the church, a culture of love. And you know, I truly believe if if the people of the world would come into that kind of culture, amazing things will happen in their hearts. He will use that culture to turn them, to soften their heart toward him when they experience the kind of love that we've been loved with. Because you don't find it anywhere else. I mean, I don't... I'm not sure you find it in church all that much. But thank God for the Holy Spirit. He's working on us.
So we also want to be creating a culture of dependence. Dependence on God. Verses 16 to 18. There's, there's really three ways of life that Paul starts talking about here. Three things that he says, I always want you to be doing this. It's pre- rejoicing, praying, and thanking. Three things that should be normal in every believer. Three things that should be normal when we all come together. Now joy, it's, it's another one of those fruits of the Spirit that characterizes our faith. You know, we got songs that we've sung um, for years and years about, about rejoicing. You know, he has made me glad. Remember that one? Oh, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. You know that one? Isaiah, we need to sing that, man. I rejoiced when I saw the weather forecast for Easter. I rejoiced. I rejoiced when I heard the governor say the mask mandate is going to change on April 6th. I rejoiced. I rejoiced when people showed up to work yesterday and make this place look like somebody lived here. Thank you for coming. I rejoiced. I was, I rejoiced that my heart was rejoicing because it always doesn't rejoice. Did you know that there are 25 people in the United States that are being monitored for the Ebola virus? (laughs) And the weather forecast is just a forecast. We live in Indiana. And I know there'll be days when I set up tables and chairs or take them down by myself. Paul says rejoice always, no matter what. How do we make that normal? How do we make it normal to rejoice always? Well, here, we, we start with remembering that God is there, and he really cares. And, and then we trust more than that, not only that God is there, but that he is here, and he knows my name. He sees me putting tables and chairs up and taking them down. I told Isaiah, part of your job description, tables and chairs. Don't know if anybody, nobody ever told me that about pastoring at the beginning. Never goes away. And it's okay. We trust that God is there, that He is caring for us, that He knows our name. We rejoice that He is faithful even when we are not. <laughs> that He is able even when we can't. That He is a promise keeper even when we aren't. And when we keep Him as our treasure, you know, our pearl of great price. And we run to him, we run into him as our strong tower. When we hide under the shelter of his wings and we follow him into our dark days, that's living a life of dependence on him and that will help us rejoice always. Because he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's a reason right there to rejoice. Paul also says to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. We're we're called to live a life of prayer. You know, it's pretty easy to pray when you've come to the end of yourself. You know, when you've come to the end of your control or the end of your wisdom or, you know, you don't know which way to go. You know, you're having trouble paying your bills. It's easy to pray then, isn't it? But it is also true that God is available for conversation all throughout the day, no matter if you have a need or not. And he is with you all day long. So, you know, why pray all the time? Because it reminds you of his presence. When you're talking to somebody all day long, you're walking with them all day long. And it helps us see his involvement in our lives when we do that. And it causes our relationship with him to be real and alive and active. You know, talking to God all the day, it cultivates our love for him. And definitely leads us to depending on him, even when we don't feel like we need him. I mean, you know, my knowledge and my experience and my ideas do not even compare to his. My best idea doesn't even come close to his worst idea. Does, he, does God have bad ideas? <laughs> 
And so I'm talking to him all day long. I want to I want him to tell me this is the way to preach this passage. I want him to give me ideas and thoughts and 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 things to do. I would never think of them. And so we want to pray without ceasing. It causes us to depend on him all day long. And then that can lead to living out that last aspect, giving thanks in all circumstances. That's all the time, giving thanks. When we have depended on God and he's come through for us, when we replace our best idea with his idea, and it turns out awesome, way better than we could ever you know, have imagined, it becomes this habit. We return thanks. It keeps us humble. I didn't do that. Hey, listen, if, if living streams would have, you know, if it all depended on my ideas and my experience, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have what we have. This is all, we were, Larry and I were just talking about before, before service, to take a step back and just look at what God has done. It's, it's remarkable. He's done it. He's done it all. And I, I praise him for that. And I thank him for that. So depending on God, that should be our normal. This is a culture of dependence. Um, we know him through our faith in Christ and what Christ has done for us. And depending on him recognizes his presence in any circumstances in our life. And it leads us to a deeper walk with him. A culture of dependence. Now, the next four verses, 19 to 22, um, they, if we look at them together, are going to lead us to understand that a next level culture is a culture of fire. Or you could say a culture of the spirit. The fire in our hearts for God, it comes from the Holy Spirit. That's the source of it. And Paul tells his spiritual children there, don't quench the spirit in your life. Don't put water on his fire. Now, he specifically brings up something that they were doing that was causing them that to happen. He said, don't despise prophecies that were being spoken to the church. So back when the Thessalonians were gathering for worship, remember, they didn't have the New Testament. And so God either brought them people or raised them up to speak his word to them. And even to tell them about future events. So apparently some in the body, they, were, they weren't liking that. They weren't liking the prophecy. And so they were resisting those whom God was using to start fires among them. Today, we have got the whole word of God. And, and it is sufficient for us to know how to live in our days and to know what to expect in the future. Now, I don't believe that prophetic voices have totally ceased I believe there's still gifts that God gives certain people and they show up in people's lives when they're needed in the body to start a fire. And so somebody might have a, a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or even knowledge about future events. I believe those things can still happen, but by and large, the gift of prophecy today for the church shows up in preaching his word. Verse 21, Paul tells them, test what you're hearing and hang on to the good. So instead of throwing out the message and the messenger, listen for God's voice and let the fire, let that fire fan into flame in your heart. Now, of course, there were false prophets that would come among them, among the church. And that kind of, verse 22 kind of alludes to that, don't. Uh, or, or abstain from every form of evil, I think is, is how it goes. Abstain from every form of evil. So listen to what you're hearing and test it and see if it's good. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus told us how to recognize false prophets. And it, all, it, was, about, it was about good trees and bad trees and good fruit and bad fruit. And he said, look at the fruit of somebody's life. If there's good fruit, listen to them. If there's bad fruit, don't. Abstain from the evil. Now, all of the gifts of the Spirit that God gives us, and I believe he'll give you a gift or gifts when you believe, and I don't believe that's a static form. I don't believe he says, here you go, here's your gifts for the rest of your life. 
No, this is a discovery thing. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus said that people of the Spirit's like the or the Holy Spirit's like the wind. You know, where is he going to go? We don't know. But as we say yes to God, to the opportunities that he gives us to do, and we step into that by faith, because it's always going to be by faith that we step into that, then the Spirit comes and gifts us what we need to do the work. And so it should be normal around here that we are people full of, of the Holy Spirit. People on fire for God. And preaching is one of the main ways that that fire gets started and gets stoked in the hearts of the church, people in the church. I mean, Joe preaching there, stirring, preach, stirring me to come up and preach. It was, it was like, I'm seriously thinking we got to work something out. I mean, that's when I listen to preaching, the Spirit stirs in me to preach. And that's kind of how it goes. When, you're li- when you listen to preaching, the Spirit should stir in you to use your gifts. You know, so you might get stirred up to give, or you might get stirred up to teach, or to serve, or to go tell others about Jesus. But the Spirit's going to urge you to use your gifts for the edification of the body, the glorification of Jesus. It starts a fire in you. It's miraculous, it's mysterious, and it's wonderful. Now, if you're, if you're not surrendered to God, you know, if you're hanging on to part of your life as your life, or, you know, something he said, let go of that, and you won't let go of it, you know, your hearts are not going to be good soil for the Word of God. And when you hear preaching, it just makes you harder. God's Word says... And his word is like a hammer. So when our hearts aren't good soil for his word, we'll, if we keep resisting his will and his way, we won't get that fire. We'll quench the spirit like they were doing. Now in these last days that we are living in, the word says that many would rather have their ears tickled than their hearts pricked. And that means that there's going to be churches without fire, without salvations, and without purpose. But I'm here to tell you, as long as God gives me voice and breath and a willing heart, we will preach the word in season and out of season and correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. That's what we're called to do. One of my favorite teachers, preachers, is David Platt. Um, he, he just blows me away. Every year, he does this event called Secret Church. And he, he started this, I think, in uh, Alabama when he was down there at, at uh, Brook Hills. Um, and it has just exploded to where this is a worldwide event uh, all, you know, in, in many churches all over the place. And it's a, it's a, it's a time of Bible study and prayer um, like... Uh, like they would meet in a persecuted country, okay, and and so it's a it's a like a six hour thing, six thirty ish to one a.m. and David Platt preaches and teaches the Word of God as fast as he possibly can, and we're going to host this on April twenty third. That's a Friday, and I invite you to come. Um, it is difficult. It is, and he, he uh, will, at the beginning, most likely tell everyone this is not the best way to teach God's Word. But this is how, they, this is how it happens when you're in a place and they've got a limited amount of time and it's possible that they could bust the door down and take us to jail and they want as much information as they can about God's Word. And so it's an identification thing with the persecuted church. So that's why he does it this way. It's pretty amazing. I promise you, even though it's hard to do, if you come and you stick it out, you will walk away with a fire in your heart. Because that guy's on fire. I'll send you the sign up soon. All right, so Paul begins to close his letter here in these last few verses, uh, 23 to 28. Uh, there's final instructions here. There's prayers here. But really, as you look at it, it reminds us that this next level culture is a culture of together. We're doing this together. You know, we read these letters so often in a personal way, and that's okay. 
you know, letting God speak to us about our personal walk with him. Um, because the more of us put into practice what we're reading, then, you know, the more our, more our church will be like that. But this letter was written to a group of, of believers, and we're in a pretty new church. And so it's a, it's a together thing. Verses 23 and 24, he writes this prayer of blessing over them that God would keep them blameless, body, soul, and spirit, until Jesus returns. Now, the, in hearing that blessing over you, you know, you... You might hear that and feel this weight of responsibility. You know, just just hearing Joe preach, I could feel a, a responsibility, you know, that God has laid on me. Um, but then Paul adds a great reminder. It's underlined in my Bible. It says, he who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. If that's not under, underlined in your Bible, underline it. Or highlight it on your phone. Remember that. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. It is not up to us to get home. Jesus will get us home. He's done it. He's done all there is to do. We do the walking. He does the working. He will do it. In verse 25, Paul asks for a prayer. Now, these believers, they know what Paul's all about. They know what he's doing. He's going into places that are putting him at risk, that are dangerous. And then he's telling folks about Christ who've never heard about him. They've seen the trouble that happened when he came to their town. And so what Paul does when he says, hey, would you pray for us? Is he, he includes them in his ministry. He is including them in, his, in, the, in the mission of God growing the church. He's saying, look, you're just as important as I am in this thing. I need you to pray for me. It's a beautiful thing. Never take it lightly. <laughs> I don't take it lightly that you pray for me. I need you to pray for me. Pray for our missionaries. And Pastor Macwan calls me about three times a week. What do you need me to pray for? When I grow up, I want to be like him. Next thing Paul says is greet everyone with a holy kiss. Now, back then, they were, the kiss on the cheek was like a standard way to greet people. You know, so for us, it's more like handshakes and hugs. Uh, but it's a welcoming into a gathering. It's a welcoming. It's a, it's a together instruction. You know, think about this group that is, uh, what this group is made up of here in, Thessal- in Thessalonica. You know, we got, we got slaves. We got free people. We got Jews. We got Greeks. We got rich, poor Male, female, young, old. Nobody is more important than anybody else. There is no status in the church. There is no social class. Greet everyone with a hug and a handshake when you come together. Everyone is valued just for showing up. So we make sure we include others. In verse 27, Paul reminds them, he actually puts them under obligation to read his letter to the whole church. So very clear instruction. I'm not just writing to one person uh, to encourage, to give strength and hope. I want the whole church to hear this. I want everybody to be instructed, encouraged, strengthened, and have hope for Jesus coming back. It's a together kind of culture. And then verse 28, he's signing off like we would put sincerely before we would sign our name. He says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Does that again in 2 Thessalonians. So this together culture that that we are called to create, that's the kind of culture a, a church should have, a New Testament church. And we've got uh, things that work against us. You know, when it comes to make, creating that, that kind of culture. Living in America, just that alone makes it difficult to create that kind of culture. But you know, I was thinking, uh, for the last year now, we've been entrenched in ways of living that keep us from being a together kind of culture. You know, we're... we're uh, Hiding behind masks and walls. We're staying away from each other and we're keeping our distance to love each other and keep each other safe. And I'll tell you, thank you for doing that. 
Thank you for being good followers of the CDC guidelines. But I believe it's time that we start following these guidelines again and we remember our calling as a church to be a together kind of culture. It's going to take faith. It's going to take some courage. It's going to take a lot of love and a lot of patience. Obedience, picking up our cross and following Jesus, but I guarantee you that's where he wants us to go if we want to look like this Bible tells us to look. Let's have our worship team come back up. So Living Streams, you know, is under construction. Really, the old is gone. I I was thinking, it was about a year ago now where we locked down and we didn't have church uh, to hear. We had just a few here to get it streamed out over the internet and uh, lots of changes changes have happened in that amount of time and, you know, uh, they're still happening. But God has been answering our prayers and there's a new church here because there's a lot of new people. We've got new leadership. We, we've got new families. We've got a fresh wind of the Spirit blowing through this place. And so we need to keep our eyes on this New Testament and the kind of culture that it wants us to create. God wants us to be a certain kind of place where it's normal that we respect our leaders, that we love each other, that we depend on Him, that we are on fire for Him, and that we're doing it together. That's the kind of place he wants us to be. And I believe we can do it. Because he who called us is faithful. And he will do it in us.